Welcome to the Proletarian Contrarian, the podcast where we reevaluate bad films through our leftist perspective. I'm Nick. And I'm Lewis. And I really, for the first time, uh, disagree with Lewis. I love this movie that we're about to talk about. I hate this movie, <laughs> and I hate you. I do not and love it. this I is the end it. of this fucking podcast. I do not love it. Please, 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 yield, yield, please. I, I do not love this movie. I appreciate this movie uh, markedly more than Lewis did. But I don't love it. I do not like it. I I am okay with it more than Lewis ever was. Thank you for repenting. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I appreciate please. that. Uh, in the spirit of this film. Oh, uh, hey. <laughs> nice. Uh, something about retribution, blah, blah, blah. So uh, the name of this movie is The Spirit. <laughs> hey. Uh, directed by Frank Miller, uh, the comic book artist and writer uh he made this film in 2008 so this is the first film that he directed uh solo he had previously directed sin city a few years earlier with robert rodriguez uh Mm. one can imagine he had very little input in the actual uh directorial choices but maybe some framing choices i don't know maybe he was like make this look more like my comic book who the fuck well i mean there 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 is clear continuity of style between the between uh sin city and in this movie yeah that's for sure i mean uh this film uses the same like tri-color aesthetic Mm -hmm. uh that sin city uses both in the comic books and in the movie um but this movie uses it poorly uh yeah yeah (laughs) yes un unbelievable some of the horrid shots of this movie. Um, but we'll get into that soon. Uh, a, a quick oh, yeah. plot rundown is um, the spirit is actually an old comic. I mean, just I think it started even in newspapers. Um, is that yeah, correct? W- yeah, we're, we're talking like 1930s, um, like in the, in the thick of the Great Depression. Um, Will Eisner created the spirit. Um and it ran in pretty much, I th- I want to say, like, every format available at the time. So it was in, like, newspapers. It was in serials. It was in comic books. It was, like, it, w- it, w- it was pretty popular, and it was everywhere. Yeah. This is a, a seminal uh, take on both the superhero genre and the detective genre. Um, the spirit is this reanimated immortal detective uh, in the movie um, he is played by Gabriel Macht, who I have never heard of, and I don't think has done much since this movie. He's he's one of the um, the stars and one of the producers of that show Suits. I think it's on NBC or something. <laughs> I mean, hey, he, he, the spirit wears a suit, so it makes sense. Yeah, there's continuity there for sure. <laughs> yeah, con- continuity of style is the uh, title for this episode. <laughs> um, so in this version, the spirit. Um, is a detective in this city, I think it's called Central City, who gets mm-hmm. wrapped up in this case involving his arch nemesis, the crime boss, the octopus, played by Samuel Jackson, uh, oh. and his old flame, the femme fatale, Sand Serif. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, played by repeat offender, Eva Mendes. Yes. Repeat uh, pro-con offender. <laughs> 
So yeah, if you're if you're uh, playing along at home, folks, uh, it's Eva Mendes <laughs> and Nick Cage. The common mm-hmm. denominator is the film Ghost Rider here. Yes, and that that was the start of darkness for both of them, um, radiating outwards into uh, this episode and the City of Angels episode. Yeah, you could say it's uh, their fall from grace. Like, oh, like Lucifer. Hey. Mm, or like a ghostwriter himself. Or, yeah, ghostwriter <laughs> himself. Um, uh, but yeah, so that's oh, kind oh, of it almost for the plot. Also, no, 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 not, that's that's not almost it. Um, also, uh, Louis Lombardi is in this movie, who plays uh, Big Pussy's FBI handler in The Sopranos, uh, Agent Skip Lapardi. And I noticed him on my own while I was watching the movie. I didn't actually like read that on the Wikipedia page. I. My Sopranos knowledge just came through when um, when when Louis Lombardi plays himself like thirty times in this movie as like clones of of like the octopus's henchmen. Yes, and um, that's right. Yeah, so I I was um, I, I I was really pleased with myself when I noticed that. Yeah, it's funny when you put that in the notes. I was like, wait, who the fuck is that? in this movie like who does he play in this movie and i was like oh he has hair in the sopranos that's why i couldn't put two and two together there because he's bald in this movie Mm -hmm. um but yeah that's uh probably the best part of this movie that there is a sopranos alone (laughs) yeah and he he plays himself like cloned like 50 times as henchmen and they'll wear We'll get into that because that, that's that's good stuff. We're, we're still here in the setup here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but this film also stars uh, Sarah Paulson, who I believe is in some seasons of American Horror Story. She she's in a lot of stuff. She's, she's in a lot of stuff. Yeah, she's really um, it's it's her time to shine. I think in in uh, both TV and cinema. Mm-hmm. Uh, quite the darling at the moment uh and then someone who uh should really just fall out of favor entirely is scarlett johansson uh, <laughs> coming in strong and yeah well you, she yeah. well she did all those advertisements for uh soda stream oh fuck yeah. and then and then when people were like hey this company is basically mm-hmm. part of you know the israeli apartheid she was like i don't care right right and um so she plays the octopus's uh, right hand, right hand henchman, um, Silken Floss. Silken Floss. I was like, what the so fuck's her name? Yeah, Silken Floss. This whole movie could be interpreted as um, deep cover for for Nick Fury and Black Widow, um, and as a part of the MCU, she is double canceled because we are anti Marvel stands here at a Procon. Yep. We're but except for Samuel L. Jackson gets more of a pass than than Scarlett Johansson does, I think. Yeah, that's fair. I think his body of work has added more to even um, our content. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> or our future content, I should say. Yeah, he, he's going to show up again eventually in some episode because he, he's been a lot of shit. But um, yeah, yeah, no, he, he's he, he has more more going on, I think, than, than Scarlett Johansson. Anyway, uh, back to the spirit. As we mentioned previously, Frank Miller directed this film. Mm. Uh, for you ProCon fans out there who don't know who Frank Miller is, he is um, a very seminal comic book 
artist and writer, um, probably most famous for his his runs on Daredevil, um, where he created the character Elektra, um, and and the Hand, and um, really just a, a lot of um, Daredevil mythos comes from Frank Miller. But he also wrote um, stories like uh, Batman Year One, um, which is is really the inspiration for the um, the Batman Begins film. Uh, so he he really is um, a talented creator. Oh, and of course, Three Hundred. How can I forget? I mean, oh my God, that's yeah, probably that's <laughs> what yeah, it's, most it's, people it's would probably, know. It's probably Daredevil, um, Batman Year One. The Dark Knight Returns in, in 300 are what he's really known for. Yeah, Dark Knight Returns um, is is definitely one I think most comic book fans would know. Um, probably not most cinema fans just because it doesn't really have much bearing on the film Dark Knight Rises or any of the uh, cinematic Batman, really. Um, in Batman vs. Superman, they they lift from that a little bit. Um, this, like the style of Batman's armor... Um, he he uses a gun at some point. They they kind of reference that, and there was a Batman Dark Knight Returns um, two part uh, animated adaptation that DC released a few years ago. Oh yeah, I always forget that they yeah. do like five of those a year. And uh, he was voiced by um, RoboCop in that movie. Uh, oh Frank Weller. Yeah, Frank really? Weller voiced voiced. Uh, old old Batman in those movies, I believe. Yeah, that's fucking dope. Wow. Yeah. Um. So yeah, Frank Miller is an interesting guy. He um he, he's definitely one of the most influential people in comics, um especially American comics, especially American superhero comics. Um. He he was kind of like this anti-authority, rebellious young upstart when he first started his career with Daredevil, um, and as he, he he kind of moved over to Batman and he became more and more more and more influential. Um, a lot of the success kind of went to his head, and he he did develop some kind of um, substance abuse problem. Um, I know, and all, all of this kind of came to a head when Occupy Wall Street was a thing. And he released this infamous screed, this infamous anti-Occupy, you young punks don't know what you're doing, get off my lawn, go join the army, uh, and learn what sacrifice really is. And um, Alan Moore, who's the other most influential influential superhero um, comic book guy, wrote this direct response to him, which is pretty awesome. Um, All of which to say is Frank Miller has had a troubled personal life and... um, I, I would call him a misogynist. He has misogynistic tendencies. He has um, problematic tendencies, which which do come through in this film as well as his other work. Um, but I don't know. I'm, I'm I'm kind of hesitant to write him off as quickly as a lot of people have in in like the discourse around comics and around him specifically. So, in summation, Frank Miller, you're canceled, um, and uh, we actually don't have to continue with this episode because that's all we wanted to say. Goodbye. So, so this basically, was ProCon episode my, seventeen. 
So th- this whole episode is one long extended metaphor for my feelings on Frank Miller and for Lewis's feelings on Frank Miller. Yeah, this is a struggle session of which uh, Frank Miller cannot partake in. Yes. Because he we're... said too much, honestly, at this point. He just keeps talking and yeah. he... So he also issued a statement, um, I believe, last year, maybe early this year in The Guardian, where it was an interview because, so, as we mentioned previously, he wrote the 300 comic, which actually isn't as xenophobic as the movie, no, um, to be it's honest. It's, it's I, 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 you know, I like his art style, and I think his art style really comes out well in that in that book because it's, um, it's all splash pages, basically. Um, his splash pages are like a two-page uh, comic book panel. Um, and he does it the whole time. And that book is printed in um, like more, more of a landscape format than right. like a, a, a portrait format. And so like it's it's literally very cinematic. And um, I, I think his art is really like captivating and singular. And, and I cannot stand when people like look at a page from like The Dark Knight Strikes Again and be like, oh, this is trash. Like anyone can do it. Like he, he has a distinct visual voice. And um that that's just a pet peeve of mine when when his his admittedly minimalistic style is is, is dismissed online. No, I agree, and I mean that I think comes comes forth in Sin City. Um, I mm. think it, it'd be easy just to say, oh, he just uses a few colors and he uses silhouettes, you know, and he mm. really kind of leans on that crutch of like you know film noir aesthetic, but. Uh, I don't know. Just you try it, asshole. I don't know. Yeah, like, it, uh, it's it's really hard to get that um, to look appealing for twelve books. I mean, the man did yeah. like twelve Sin City books, and I I've read the majority of them. They're pretty good. I mean, it's stylistically, let's say. Yeah, like like writing writing and drawing it like like not not just doing one or the other which he, he's a he's an artist writer uh, creator and he, he does get like editing help or, or lettering help which I'm, I'm not i'm not trying to say that like his his art his uh artwork is worth more because he he does more of the the share of the work or whatever um but it, it's not nothing and uh the 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 mindful and tasteful application of negative space of of negative blank dark space is pretty masterful yeah i'd agree and then his work like 300 or um mm-hmm. what's the other one ronin is that another one of his yeah um ronin is what that was like i think ronin is what really put him on the map that's what like made the higher ups at dc and marvel notice him yeah i would say the stylistic flourishes you see in Ronan that you see in 300 um, that are, are very different than what you see in Sin City where I yes. and, and you know it's even what you see in his Daredevil comics you know um, mm. I think those are something that people kind of forget about and don't you know really give him credit for um, just mm. a visual voice that at the time in comic books and even till this day we we don't see a lot of just like this unique artistic style that is not the house style right and um, that could even mesh with the house style because some of daredevil i mean is similar to yeah. the house style but yeah. enough of it is miller's voice i think what you um just hit upon was his his influence uh, um 
his manga influence. Frank Miller is a weeaboo. He's a weeb. He, um, <laughs> he, he, he is infatuated utterly with um, cool, bleak, badass Japanese shit. Um, and, and he has said, like outright, that um, Ronin specifically, Ronin especially, but like his other work too, um, was visually influenced by manga. Ma- manga a- as a comics form that arose uniquely in Japan in the immediate aftermath of World War II and its um, its greater focus on moment-to-moment beats of, of movement as opposed to larger, singular um, composites of, of a couple different actions with like saturated with letters um, that, that, that is palpable throughout um, Ronan especially, like I said. Um, but, de- but definitely all of his Batman work, um, all, all, of Sin- all of his Sin City work, I, I think he, he was one of the first mainstream creators to really bring that sensibility, that, that um, Japanese-inspired sensibility to his comics. Yeah, so what we're saying is that he is the uh, the Wu-Tang of the 70s and 80s. <laughs> sure. Okay. Nope, that's not what we're saying. Um, yeah, no, we're not saying that. Um, what we are saying is that for all of his strengths as a comic creator, uh, he's not a good director. <laughs> no, he's not. They, they are distinct media, folks. They are distinct mediums. You can see the difference in yeah. uh, the two films he directed with... Robert Rodriguez compared to the spirit, which he directed by himself. Um, I haven't seen the second Sin City film. I've seen the first Sin City Sin City film numerous times, but it's been a while. Um, Mm. I remember liking it. I remember thinking it's a a good adaptation and it's not just, you know, uh, copying just exact moments and panels from the the page and putting them on screen uh something people always talk about watchmen and and say oh it's just a literal adaptation of which is why it fucking sucks (laughs) (laughs) right so rodriguez doesn't allow frank miller to do that in either sin city film or at least i should say the first sin city film maybe the second sin city film sucks ass um so speaking of the second sin city film (laughs) I wanted to start with our perceptions of this film with yeah. a review from someone who we've mentioned, but we actually haven't, uh, we haven't featured their words. Motherfucking yes. Here he comes. <laughs> so Armand White yes. did not do a review of The Spirit in 2008, but in, I believe, 2014, 2015, he reviewed Sin City, A Dame to Kill For, which is the mm-hmm. sequel to Sin City. Uh, within that review, he mentions the spirit. And uh, this is what Armand White has to say about the spirit. When Miller directed his own film, The Spirit, he went all the way into humorously styled adult sex, underworld violence, and camp. It wasn't insipid, and its drumming by critics should have inspired Miller towards increased seriousness, like his controversial anti-Occupy statement in 2011. Instead of supporting Rodriguez's fanboy juvenilia, same as in the Machete movies and Spy Kids franchise, Miller could have originated a film beyond neo-noir that expressed what he felt about contemporary pseudo-politics, as in his infamous rant. Okay, so I love Armand White. I'm a Armand White stan right 
I kind of get what he's driving at. I don't agree, obviously. Um, this is not a good movie, but I, I, there's something there. I don't know. So I think when I had first read this and I was like, what the fuck is he talking about adult sex? <laughs> yeah. I, I somewhat understand what he's driving at there, and we can talk about that later. Mm-hmm. Um, the underworld violence also, I think, I can see where he's coming from. The camp is where he loses me. The camp in this movie, um, as a person who's fine with camp, I think, you know, campiness in film is perfectly fine um, Mm -hmm. if you know how to write it, if you know how to direct it, if you know how to act it. But in this film, it's literally just people yelling at each other with funny voices. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, That's one of my biggest complaints of the movie, though. People standing on a on a green screen, just shouting at each other. Um, yeah, I mean Miller has no idea how to frame a shot. He has no idea how to compose no. a shot. He has no idea how to block a shot, and you know to tell actors how to move. Which is crazy, given his pedigree of of drafting in, in composition in in his own comics. You know, and I think I would say there are some good compositions, but I think the the key. Th- aspect of filmmaking that he doesn't understand is how to block a shot and now blocking is the movement of actors what is it what does it mean (laughs) so blocking is the movement of actors within a scene um in in relationship to the camera movement in relation to the framing uh in relation to the script and what you know what it calls for basically Mm. um and I think that is where it is severely lacking. I mean, I don't even yeah. think the, the actors move half the time in any of these fucking shots. And I mean, in in, in light of, of what you just said, that almost makes sense, given his his extensive uh, resume with, with drawing literally still images of characters who are impeccably composed but are not moving on the page. So, of course, like when he has a camera, he has people standing around doing nothing. Right. You know, I, I agree. It totally makes sense um, for who he is and his pedigree. Um, but, yeah, he he just should have co-directed this with someone, be it mm. Robert Rodriguez, be it some, I don't know, up-and-coming asshole, some random <laughs> person from NYU. Like, it just yeah. should have been anybody but himself, Yeah. by himself. Yeah. And um, keeping in line with that, the, the ranting nature that we're, we're we've devolved into here. Here's a bit from uh, Miller's um, Occupy rant that was particularly salient. <laughs> oh God! Um, Occupy is nothing but a pack of louts, thieves, and rapists. An unruly mob fed by Woodstock era nostalgia and putrid false righteousness. Occupy is nothing short of a clumsy, poorly expressed attempt at anarchy. To the extent that the movement, ha, some movement, except the word bowels attached. <laughs> Is anything more than an ugly fashion statement by a bunch of iPhone, iPad-wielding, spoiled brats who should stop getting in the way of working people and find jobs for themselves? <sighs> um, yep. So that's where he was coming from right around the time that this movie was made. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Occupy started in, what, 2010? Yeah. Um, but into, obviously the financial crisis, yeah, but obviously the financial crisis was, you know, uh, had just begun and people mm-hmm. had definitely started uh, to to express their frustrations online and, um, yep. 
I'm sure at that point he was just, he was still in this kind of mindset, the, you know, uh, just ready to, to give it to, you know, the millennials and ready to give it to anybody who would, uh, deign to, uh, express their, uh, their dissatisfaction with the, the societal order basically. Yeah. The, the mutants from dark Knight rises uh, or dark Knight returns. Um, and I mean, <laughs> again, to, to give him credit where credit's due, he has recently said, um, he was like, in the depths of alcoholism when he wrote that. And, and he said it did affect his perception of the world. He, he's not woke. He's, he's not a leftist. He is not, he is not particularly politically uh, savvy, I would say, but um, th- this outburst and, and the outrage that it caused can be at least somewhat chucked up to his, his struggles with alcohol. Yeah, I think that's fair. You know, um, uh, kudos for issuing any kind of mea culpa uh, mm-hmm. in print media, you know, um, that's yeah. um, better than some, better than most. Yeah, honestly. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would, I would uh, say everybody should, if you don't want to read his Occupy rant, at, at least uh, you know yes. read the uh, the Guardian article, um, which is is mostly about his career and um the fact that he wrote a, a Xerxes um sequel or prequel comic to 300 I believe it's a sequel because because in in history after the battle of Thermopylae um Xerxes did not die and he he went on to invade Greece again years later and I think it's I think it's about that second campaign so um yeah. maybe we'll see that film one day yeah who knows i mean they made a 300 pre, uh, sequel, so <laughs> yeah. Um, Let's get another one. Great, yeah. that'll be the next episode of Procon. Because <laughs> we we're do done a- now. <laughs> we're gonna go on hiatus because this episode is gonna tear us apart, <laughs> and then we'll come back for the Xerxes episode. <laughs> Lewis first, Nick Don of Miller. Um, <laughs> but what what do we what do we hate about this film? Because I will concede there are some things to dislike about the spirit. Mm. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, just <laughs> yeah, a few. Yeah. That's it. There's only a few things to hate about this film, folks. Not many. And uh, one of the things that I was really pissed about. So uh, Samuel Jackson plays this crime boss called the Octopus, and at <laughs> one point in the film, he yells, "I have eight of everything," and it's like, <laughs> it's about guns at that point because it's in the climax of the film, and he's mm-hmm. like shooting uh, the spirit. He, he and- did. He did th- that. The, the pair of pistols that he pulled out were the seventh and eighth pistols in that scene I counted. Yes. No, I counted as well. I tried to count anything he did that had some kind of rep- repetitious nature to it because I remembered um, mm. when he yelled that. Because I've seen... So, folks, I've seen this movie three ah, fucking times you, now. You've seen Maybe it that's why I, I fucking hate this movie. I've seen, I've seen it, it twice. three times. Yes. You've seen it twice. I've seen it three times. I'll tell you all story about that in a second. But what I was really pissed off about, so Samuel Jackson yells, I have eight of everything, but his character does multiple costume changes, yet not eight costume changes. No. Only five costume changes. I counted that. I wrote it down. He's a gunslinger when we first meet him, then a samurai, Mm -hmm. and then a mad scientist, then a fucking Nazi. 
for. Which is absurd. Yep. In, yep. in in the context, it kind of makes sense. He's doing like this like interrogation, very um, I think is a reference to Marathon Man because the the Nazi yeah. in that is like a dentist. Um, and he's, okay. and he's, and the spirit's in like a dentist chair. Yeah. Um, and then he, the last look is weird. Like I don't, it's kind of like a black exploitation look. Um, it's like a big fur coat and he's wearing like this leopard skin hat that looks a lot like, um, the dictator of the Congo, Joseph Mobutu wore all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but five, that's okay. it. You're five all, you're costumes. For, you're, no, no, no. You're, there, there are six. You're forgetting the flashback when he's the spirit's coroner. Okay. But that's still not the number eight. <laughs> but it's closer. <laughs> wow. <laughs> okay, yeah, it, it's bullshit. He should have eight costumes. He should have had eight costumes. Like eight costumes. Yeah. Eight. It should have happened. Um, I mean, his costumes are cool. Um, everyone's costumes in this film are cool. Um. I mean, the spirit's kind of a dork, but like every every female character has a really cool getup, um, except for the fact that Frank Miller hates women. <laughs> like you can't yeah. get around that. He Frank Miller has some deeply deeply um, misogynistic attitudes towards humanity. I feel, and it, and and it sometimes can be channeled into a stylistic direction, which which is as problematic as anything else he does um every character every every female character exists to be um fetishized and objectified like utterly yeah it's true there's a scene where eva mendez uh puts her butt on a copy machine and (laughs) copies it for like literally no reason <laughs> literally to, to to just to be a check i was going to set up a clue yeah. for the spirit because he's like mm, oh that's I, right <laughs> she she <laughs> takes a, a a copy photo of her ass it like to mock the businessman she's trying to extort and then she throws in the garbage and then when the spirit checks out the crime scene later um he searches in the garbage and he finds this photograph of, of her ass pressed against like the glass of the photocopier and he's like oh i'd recognize that rear anywhere or something <laughs> yeah yeah i think i think that's exactly what it says um but but i think that probably the best uh example of miller's misogyny is is the voiceover in this film mm. uh there are two instances in the voiceover that like i i just I could believe actually, because I I know Frank Miller's work, especially his more modern work. Um, so, the spirit has these these monologues via voiceover about the city, the city that he uh, interminable, lives in. interminable monologues. <laughs> the most, yeah, they really are. Um, you know, and and this is something that you'll see in a lot of comic books. If it's Batman, if it's Spider Man, if it's Superman, the city that they live in is important. He lives in Central City, I believe is the city. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, a, a superhero's interactions and relationship with the city are important. Um, you know, there's even that great character in um, Warren Ellis's uh, comics, um, his Wildstorm comics that, like, do you know that character? Oh, I, I wish I could remember his name, but he is a composite character who, like, his power is that he interacts with the city. Does he not wear shoes? He doesn't wear shoes, right? Yeah, uh, J- J- John or Jack something. 
Yeah. Really, I mean, just um, really inspired character. Um, comic books, everybody. <laughs> we we love comic books. We're very good at comic books. We understand them. Um, it's true. <laughs> but so this fucking voiceover, uh, it starts with the spirit saying that the the city is his girlfriend basically like it's his woman and even, uh, even more than that like like it's his like the ideal lover that no flesh and blood woman could ever live up to yeah there's this bonkers line where he says she's not like some tarted up fraud all dressed up like jailbait she's old and proud of her every pock and wrinkle like i just so the spirit <laughs> is not ageist he's, he's <laughs> but yeah it's it's ridiculous it like i i get that miller was trying to like do a do a thing and and play into the noir tradition and the that old school costumed crime fighter kind of like self self monologue endlessly ruminating the 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 travails and the tortures of a fight in the good fight that can never be won and all that crap but um it, it just comes off as hokey from the get-go it, it, it's really really inept yeah, and then later he also calls the city his mom, basically. Yeah, so the, the spirit, um, as a fail son, has an Oedipal complex. <laughs> <clearly>. <laughs> yeah, I you know I didn't think about that very much throughout this film. Who is the fail son of this? I guess is it the spirit? No, I, there, there's an army. No, of fails, there's a literal army yeah, of fail sons. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, it's so his goons. It's the octopus's goons. Yeah, so to to get to get to the thing we had alluded to earlier, um, the octopus has an army of clones or like genetic experiments or whatever, played by Louis Lombardi. Um, all of them, and and they're all these big dumb oafish guys, and they're like very cheerful, and they apparently are super durable to to injury. And they all wear black T-shirts that say like logos, pathos, ethos, uh, adios, amigos, uh, dildos. <laughs> it's like, it's, like, yeah, okay, boss, I'll, I'll go and lift the box up for you, boss. Thanks for letting me work for you. Da, 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 da. It, it's, I kind of like it. It, it. It's like literally something from like a spirit comic. Like they're, they're just doofs, and um, yeah, they're they're just endlessly cheerful, completely incompetent. And they they're completely completely resistant to like the the slings and arrows of everyday life. So yeah, they're they're fail sons, I guess. Yeah, they're definitely our fail sons. Um, my favorite version of them, and probably the best part of this film, is when Samuel Jackson is dressed up like a mad scientist. He's doing oh this God. experiment on one of them. Yes. Uh, but this one, he fucked up when he made it, and it's literally like a little foot hopping around with just the head of Louis Lombardi yes. on top of it. Yes. He just keeps saying, isn't this weird? This is really weird. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, Scarlett Johansson is trying to get him like, hey, sir, we, like, we have like drug sales are down and like where alcohol sales are down and like, we like we need to focus more attention and like our prostitution rings and blah, 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 blah. blah. He's like, Oh yeah. He's like, this, this is so weird. <laughs> and then he throws the thing in a drop of, in a, like a vat of acid. So whatever. Yeah. He drops it in a vat of acid. That's also a blender. Like I think he blends it. Yeah. To yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, so yeah, that was cool. Uh, so besides um, all that, this movie's flawless. <laughs> <laughs> Um, 
one thing that really bugged me for real is um, the the uh, the horrible clashing of there were like like fifteen or twenty percent of the shots of just Central City um, were of real world buildings or real they seem to be like real world like b-roll or something that was like a, had a filter thrown over it and then the rest of the shots of the city were clearly on a sound stage clearly on a green screen and um when it, whenever those shots of like real versus very obviously fake came one after another in a sequence it it, was, it, was, it just completely took me out like of any kind of immersion any any like shadow of immersion that i had there's, there's like nothing to this plot like what happens? Like he, he gets in a fist fight with the octopus. He they punch each other in a swamp. Spirit dies or, or takes a lot of damage, but he finds out that he can't die, or it's revealed to the audience that he can't die. He bums around. He hits on women. He his his first love, uh, Eva Mendez as San Serif, comes back into town. They get mixed up with the octopus because what, what were the two artifacts? Uh, oh yeah, so it's really shoehorned in there, and I, yeah, I mean, I, really, I, I, I guess it's it's some maybe it's a callback to Spirit Comics, or it's just you know some hobby horse of Frank Miller's. But the um, the two artifacts in question that are that are in these boxes that Sans Serif and and the octopus are interested in are uh, Jason's golden fleece from the Jason and the Argonauts story, and then the blood of Hercules, or um, you know the Heracles. original name Heracles. Yes, as as they say uh, throughout the movie. Um, so Jason's fleece is something Sans Serif is interested in. Because I don't know, she's vain. I mean, that's really her only character beat is that she's. She vain. loves, she loves the shiny things, and that's what they call right. it in the tech in yeah. the dialogue. <laughs> the shiny so things. She, she wants the nice, the shiniest thing imaginable, which is Jason's golden fleece, and uh, the octopus wants uh, the blood of Heracles because it will give him godlike status, immortality, and the like. Uh, but of course, they get the opposite box yeah. um, that they want early in the film and then they have to switch later. What's crazy about this is like th- this is a Batman story. Like the spirit is Batman. Um Sans Serif is is Catwoman. Uh the octopus is any given Batman villain like the Joker or Two-Face or, or whoever, just the mob crime as an abstract entity. Um the police commissioner is is Commissioner Gordon. Um, it's, it's all very like, we, we've seen this before and we've seen this before from Frank Miller and we've seen the, we've seen this before from Frank Miller in a multitude of other stories. So like anything, like, like there's nothing original to the beats and the setup and, and anything that is interesting that comes out of it is like, we, we've seen this shit in, in better stories before in better Batman stories before. Yeah, you know, I was really interested in why Frank Miller chose this specific story to tell. Because mm-hmm. um, he did write this movie. He wrote and directed this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and as we said, you know, we both believe he is a talented writer and that mm-hmm. he is a talented artist. Um, but yeah, this this film felt like to me the middle of a comic book arc. 
basically like the yeah. middle issue in a comic book arc yeah. where we are missing a lot of contextual information where we're missing the relationships between these characters where we're missing like literally everything that would make this fucking interesting like this is the worst version of like in media res i can think of basically and that was probably that that's probably tr- i mean that that is true but um that probably comes from his deep knowledge of the original comics and his deep appreciation of the original comics like he i don't know i don't know if he assumed that like everyone that watched this would know the spirit or if they would just pick up on the broad archetypes and tropes that go into that go into this kind of production but yeah that that's a very good way of putting it cuz um it begins with an established character who's like presented as if we already know him and it ends kind of on a little bit of a cliffhanger. Yeah, it does. So at the end, um, there's this big standoff shootout and the octopus gets blown to bits. Yeah. Uh, and good. after the chaos and people running around SWAT teams, the spirits, you know, uh, sans serif, uh, silken floss and her goons like find the octopus's finger and they're they say some bullshit about i don't know reanimating him yeah um, like let's start over or whatever yeah um but you know i will say as, as you as you had mentioned you know it kind of it starts with this established character or characters i did like the rivalry the the animus between the spirit and the octopus you know mm-hmm. it's there's not much to establish that these two characters are arch nemeses uh we are just thrown into that and i think especially the scene in the swamp in the beginning of the film is is well composed from just you know the script from this is one of the better uh, scenes in terms of blocking even i think there's some really great dynamic uh action going on per shot um there's this uh the fight scene between octopus and uh and the spirit is very comic booky um it actually starts with uh if so frank miller is in this movie uh, as a cop, his name is uh, Detective Lebowitz or Officer Lebowitz. Yep. Um, and uh, Octopus actually decapitates him. Yes. And he, he th- and and he throws his head at the spirit. Yeah, he throws his head at the spirit, and then later he also whacks him with Frank yep, Miller's with, head. With head. Like it's it's recurring throughout their fight Hell scene. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting. Frank Miller dies in the majority of films he appears in. He um. In Daredevil, uh, Bullseye throws a pen in his skull, and he falls over into frame. Yep. Uh, what else? Uh, so his first appearance is in Robocop 2. He's a scientist that's mm. get, that gets blown up in a lab. Um, nice. He's in some weird fucking vampire movie that Stan Lee is also in called Jugular Wine. Uh, and he gets eaten by vampires as like Stan Lee looks on yeah. approvingly. Uh, that's that's actually a really good metaphor for his treatment in the comic book industry. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, yeah, he. Oh, yeah, he he dies in since he gets shot. I think. Yeah, he's the priest who Marv um, yes. does confession with, and then Marv shoots him through yep. the confession uh, screen. Hell yeah. No, that's yeah. That's that's because really cool. he's in cahoots with like the cardinal. 
Yeah, with, right? with Car- isn't that like yeah, the, the Cardinal Colonel uh, Rourke? Pa- Colonel Rourke played by Powers Booth. Yeah, was, was one of the main villains. R.I.P. Powers Booth. Yeah, right? didn't yeah. he just die last year? Fairly recently. Yeah. Fairly recently. Um, so yeah, I mean, if if I were an influential Hollywood person who like wrote scripts or whatever, and I I could do it, I, I would absolutely want to die as like as like a throwaway <laughs> part in like every movie I did that. I used to think about that that as a kid. I thought that'd be super dope, just like to be like a stormtrooper or a guard and just be like killed in a various number of cool ways. Yeah, and you know sometimes you get cool props from it. So um, David Thewlis, who is um, I'm not a Harry Potter fan, but he's like the werewolf guy, and he's also Ares in Wonder Woman. Yes, yeah, even more relevant. Yeah, so he is uh, he is Ares in Wonder in the Wonder Woman film. He uh, has this anecdote about how he has two uh, versions of his head, like prop versions of his head. Yes. Because he's been decapitated in two different movies. That's incredible. (laughs) Like, to to keep the thing that kills you in a movie is pretty good. Yeah, Um, so that's pretty dope. I imagine Frank Miller might have his own decapitated head. Yeah, who knows? Um, So, yeah, the... The opening of of this movie does have a number of little things that that we both liked. Um, when when the the, the kind of cold open starts and, and the spirit is like running, doing parkour on the roofs on the rooftops of Central City, um, it only really comes up here because like th- there are a few other sequences where he like parkours around, but I kind of liked how he seemed really human. Like um, he'll jump from one roof to another and then he'll slide down something. Um, but he'll kind of stumble. He he doesn't look like super graceful. Like he looks more human than um, than like Batman ever really does in, in any of Batman's appearances. Like he he comes across as like a fallible a, a fallible human wearing a ridiculous costume fighting crime, which is what these characters originated as in the Depression before they were like refined into the hyper sleek and stylized superheroes of um of like the 50s and 60s so like like, all of which is to say he comes across as a very flesh and blood kind of stumbling human when he does his parkour yeah i think that's fair uh and speaking of flesh and blood uh we had previously mentioned that armand white was a fan of the adult sex in this movie hell yes um so the the character of both sans serif and the spirit are um throughout the film you know they they are old flames they had previously been involved but you know as they grew apart um there is these pl- there are these plot details of how like both of them are like promiscuous basically mm-hmm. like sans sans serif is like the classic femme fatale and the spirit is like the classic hardball detective and, and like every woman that he meets is in love with him yeah, and you know, to the credit of Frank Miller or the various script doctors, uh, you know, <laughs> yes. it's <laughs> it, it's really never uh, their their um, sexual promiscuity and prowess is never really like shamed. So yeah. I mean, that's that's something I guess that's positive. I mean, so I I kind of get what Armand White's saying. Yeah, just like the, the thing that made me think of that. Um, in particular was uh, Sans Serif is mentioned as having like a string of husbands who mysteriously died. And um, 
yeah, that, that's a trope. That's like a femme fatale trope. But um, she lives at the end of the movie. She isn't killed uh, for her promiscuity, as as happens in so much so much genre um, entertainment. She um, she doesn't like suffer any consequences for being a woman who who uses, and to some degree, clearly enjoys her sexuality. Um, and the, and the spirit is like on that level of being like a sexual being. And, um, it's just like a fact for both of them. And they, they, it's like something they enjoy. It's something they do. It's something that's an expression of themselves. Um, but they both defy genre conventions in that, like, it doesn't dictate their more, their own morality. Yeah, that's true. And, um, yeah, I think it's interesting, especially for, um, for comic books after a certain time and then even films of a certain time you had the comic book code and film you had Mm -hmm. like the Hayes code so it was kind of baked in to Mm -hmm. the way a film was written or a way a comic book was written that um there had to be some kind of moralism Mm -hmm. in in your story um now I'm not sure I, I can't remember if they were you know there were rules around sexuality, but I don't think there were any rules like if this girl or if this dude sleeps with a bunch of people, they have to be punished or whatever. But I mean, specifically in film, I mean, it was like you couldn't have a, a, a you know, a quote unquote bad guy or someone who did criminal behavior yeah. get away with that. Like they had to be punished. Um, and then the comic books code had similar, you know, uh, stipulations. Um, yeah. So it is, it, it, you know. As much as um, some of those stories were a product of their time, this is also a product of its time, uh, where Frank Miller is both uh, anti-Occupy uh, and pro-adult sex. <laughs> yeah, um, in, in, in conclusion, uh, Frank Miller is a land of contrasts. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, the spirit likes cats. That's kind of cool. Um, he, he, he dresses up like a weirdo incel, uh, fedora guy, um, constantly wearing a tie, <laughs> but he, he's nice to cats. He, um, there are, ca- there are a lot of cats in this movie, which, which is, which, which is from the comics, by the way. Is it? I didn't, yeah. I wasn't aware. I was like, that's a interesting stylistic choice. Yeah. Um, yeah. So in the beginning we see his lair for like two seconds, um, it actually, the window of his lair, I thought, was very reminiscent of uh, Doctor Strange's Sanctum Sanctorum. Yes, I knew. Oh, my God. I fucking hate you so much. I knew you were going to say that. The way you introduced that, you're like, oh, yeah, I thought it was a... And, of course, you had to add the caveat, oh, Doctor Strange's Sanctum Sanctorum. Because you can't just drop Sanctum Sanctorum in the middle of like the podcast episode. No, I couldn't. I'd have to, you know. I mean, yeah, yeah. I probably could. There's some there's some Marvel stands out here, I'm sure, who who know, you know, the yeah, sure. the ins and outs of of Doctor Strange's uh history. Mm-hmm. Um Sure. And I sure uh they drop that name in the movie. I don't remember, but No, they uh they mention uh Ditko in the spirit. Um the Steve Ditko, the Oh, I was speaking of the Doctor Strange movie. Do they say Sanctum Sanctorum? I believe they they yeah I think they do. But I'm 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 I was just talking about how the getaway truck that Southern Flash drives has Ditko, uh, like meat packaging or whatever, which is a steep Ditko reference. Yeah, and he did work on uh, Doctor Strange and 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 mm-hmm. produce some of the more like trippy psychedelic uh, Doctor Strange comics of of the '60s, right? Yeah, he um, 
he made Doctor Strange distinctive. I don't know if he created him, but um, at the very least, he was he was a huge influence on Frank Miller. Yeah, and I'm sure um, because he created uh, the question, didn't he? He created the question. He created the question: Who is Ayn Rand as a superhero? He created uh, Hawk and Dove. He created um, the Creeper. He he did some of the best Spider-Man uh, stories. He he created like Spider-Man's distinctive look, I believe. Mm-hmm. He, yeah, he's but relevant to this episode and what we're talking about here is is the spirit uh the spirit's influence on his characters like the question specifically yeah yeah um there's a lot of overlap between between the spirit and the question just how they look how they dress is a huge thing and and kind of their whole hard-boiled mood and everything yeah so um what else do we like about this movie uh, I um I I did really like there. There's that scene where the spirit um he's fighting some of the some of the Os men, the the logos mythos, uh, pathos men, um, and he he kind of muses as ever about about oh, the city. She gives me what I need. She gives me everything. Everything I she provides me with everything I need. Blah 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 blah. Um, but he talks about like the things he's using to fight them, which is really cool. He's like, yeah, um, I'm gonna use the the fire escape and the and the power lines and and the snow as a snowball to distract them, and I'm gonna use the the manhole cover as a shield. It it was one of the few instances where um, the idea of of him as literally the spirit of a city came across because he was using the city to fight, which is and, and like explicitly saying that he was doing so, which was kind of cool. Yeah, definitely. It was one of the better uh, instances of the of the voiceover, and uh, one of the few times it it synced up with the action, and it, that it um, it added some kind of uh, thematic and stylistic heft to uh, the character in the film. But uh, yeah, uh, it's it's a real quick scene, and maybe one of the again one of the better action scenes in this movie um the the end scene of this film is it's awful it's i'm, it's I'm, awful. I'm calling it it's awful yeah. <laughs> yeah there's really i mean not much happens um besides it's kind of a mexican standoff more or less between the cops the octopus the spirit sans serif blah 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 some other people all, all of the Louis lombardi uh battle droid characters they they're clone trooper guys they're literally holding up all of them like ak 47s in or ar-15s in their hands shooting at the sky at the hell <laughs> oh, yeah, right. they're running around like oh shoot them shoot them like and you know what, actually, all, i love i love this scene now yeah, they all, and they all explode and they all <laughs> die and they're all like have these shitty grins on their faces it, it's 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 like avant-garde weird shit at times. <laughs> um, there's a character we hadn't mentioned previously because she has no import to the story. She's like this up-and-coming police officer named Morgan Stern, oh and like God, she yeah. has this gigantic like comic book like rocket raccoon gun. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, in this scene, and I thought that was cool. And she actually kills. Uh, no, octopus. no, she, she blows she, him up. She, no, she blows off his arm, and then oh, okay. Spirit 
shoves a grenade in his chest and then he tries to kill kill himself in the, in the octopus but then sans serif protects the spirit with the golden fleece of jason which is indestructible apparently right yes um yeah so that's the end of the movie yeah um, it's it's a weird one it's, it's <laughs> i do not really like like this movie all that much i i appreciate i can't appreciate what it was trying to do it, it just it, it doesn't really come together at all yeah um one of the things that i unironically like um that we hadn't mentioned and maybe the only good thing i'll say about uh scarlett johansson in this movie is that some of her line delivery is pretty good especially when she's insulting the goons yeah um she calls uh them toe cheese uh she calls one a fart uh, she, I th- it's either her or Samuel Jackson calls them, uh, doorstops. And then, uh, she also calls one a polyp, which I think is my favorite. Polyp, <laughs> the polyp is pretty damn good. And all the while they're just like smiling. These goofy smiles. Like, okay, buff, whatever you say. Yeah. Huh, we're going to get the girl. We're going to get the girl. Yep. Uh-huh. Oh, uh. <laughs> they're great. They're, yeah. Fel- Felson, they're army. They're one of the more fun fail sons. Yeah. Definitely. Um, so do we have any workers of note? Because, like, we talked way too long about Frank Miller, and, and he deserves recognition. If, if Not praise, but he he just, he just he's interesting and notable and, and influential. But, like, did you find anybody that we could, <laughs> we could match? So I, you know, I only have one worker of note that I could think of, and that's the cinematographer Bill Pope. Um, so he's actually one of my favorite cinematographers. Uh, he is probably best known as the cinematographer for the matrix. Mm, your um, favorite film, <laughs> my favorite film that I think is on par with the battlefield with the, Earth. And, and the spirit. <laughs> and the spirit. <laughs> um, but yeah, he got his start, and actually, he's worked with uh, Sam Raimi a lot. But he, mm. one of his first films he did was Army of Darkness, actually. Hell yeah! Uh, and he started with more like pulpy B movies. Yeah, uh, he really. also did another movie called Fire in the Sky, which is about like alien abductions somewhere in the Midwest. Oh, I know what that is, and there's a creepy alien experimentation scene in it. Yeah, it's that scene's dope. Actually, maybe that's a, that's a future episode. Hell yeah! Like that movie's not bad. Like it's. Hmm. I mean, it's it's not great, okay. but <laughs> I mean, it's it's worth watching. Um, okay, and and I think and that's a large a part of that is is Bill Pope cinematography. Sure. Um, now he's done you know other uh, films that are not exactly in that vein. Uh, he did he he was a cinematographer for the film Clueless. Mm, you know, hell yeah. um, so very different than this very you know very nerdy uh, genre. Yeah. Uh, aesthetic and they did this other interesting film called gridlocked with uh tupac actually okay. Okay. and thandy newton um it's about like these uh these drug abusers trying to like get through a day in new york and it's dope that sounds kind of great and, yeah he but i think he just salvaged this film because it's mostly just like a sepia tone turd this movie it's like a completely monochromatic tone <laughs> it's like there, there, yeah. there, there are large portions of this movie that are just complete black and white and nothing else 
Yeah, there was one. There's like one shot that has actual color, and it's when the spirit uh, almost dies in the water, and there's oh like a my fish. God. And the fish is like a I don't know what kind of fish, but it looks like a tropical fish almost. Yeah. Like it's like it's like a yellow and blue, and like it's really bright. It's like and it's the just, rainbow it's fish. It's the only yeah. color. Yeah, it's it's really it's really strange. Yeah, the the score is forgettable. The the acting is awful. Even actors that I do like, like Samuel L. Jackson or um, Sarah Paulson or, or God, who else is in this piece of shit? Uh, <laughs> um, Scott Lombardi, I guess, to a degree. Like they, it, it's it's just not good. They're all, they're all fun it in. Yeah, it it really is just a movie where people yell at each other. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so with that in mind, um, I guess our our broke recommendation for this movie is a edgy teenage fedora milady gentle sirs who um, wish to fight crime (laughs) in the, in the city and and be introspective and navel gazy and, and have every woman they meet fall in love with them, but still, still be dressed to the nines with their, their red, their red ties and their fedoras and their, their dusters and everything. And also sneakers. He totally is like a, like an internet atheist uh, milady guy. Cause like he, he wears a fedora and like nice clothes, but he wears sneakers with them. Yeah, he has like Chuck high tops yeah. on, um, which I think is a reference to Clive Owen's character in Sin City. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but also in the contempor- in the contemporary world, it's a reference to like weirdo incel people. Yeah, <laughs> hot to- hot topic people. Yeah, uh, sorry if you're a hot topic person. Hot topic people are a tier above incels, to be fair. Yeah. I'll give you that. I'll give them and you Thank that you. because you're one of them. <laughs> <laughs> I've straddled that line before. I'm not afraid of it. <laughs> I have been in Hot Topic, uh, yeah, more than the average person. Nice. At some point in my life. Hell yeah. Uh, our woke recommendation is for Zack Snyder fans who think his version of Batman is too soft. Mm. Um, the spirit, as we said, is a fairly violent character who uh, kills without remorse yeah uh, and, and batman has some remorse in the Zack snyder films mm-hmm. so if you think batman should be more of a psychopath this movie's for you <laughs> which is most batman fans to be fair and, uh, <laughs> our bespoke recommendation is uh to to go back in time to high school seniors lewis and nick who uh want to complete their superhero film hat trick of 2008 which included the dark knight iron man and of course the spirit all of which I saw in theaters. Um, yes, I saw yep. this movie in theaters, 2008. Uh, there were eight other people in the theater besides me and my friend. Um, <laughs> half of them walked out within the first 20 minutes, but we were dying. We we left. We were laughing, and we we fucking thought it was the most ridiculous thing we'd ever seen, and we were right. Yeah, no, I I had also seen this film in theaters with my cousin Sam, uh, and we had a similar experience. Very few people in the theater. Uh, a, a majority of them left before we did. Um, Wait, so you, you didn't sit through the whole thing? No, we did, okay, actually. Okay. We did, yeah. We we left uh, when the credits rolled. Okay, okay. Um, so this is one of the, the shitty films I've seen in theaters that I did not walk out of because I, I paid for it i really only walked out of films that i haven't paid for i've worked at movie theaters a lot yeah i got to see a lot of free films i'm okay walking out of those yeah um but as i mentioned previously i i've, I've seen this spirit three times now um 
Uh, I saw the spirit <laughs> on DVD, actually, uh, again with my cousin Sam. My cousin Sam and I were at, um, I think it was my grandfather's birthday party. Mm. Uh, <laughs> Jesus, and Jesus Christ. Our other cousin, Andrew, was like, hey, I got a DVD that we should watch. <laughs> And we were like, yeah, whatever. We'll throw it on later. Like, let's spend time with the family. Um, And it it was the spirit. He wanted us to watch the spirit. Yes. Um, And much to our chagrin, he was just, he was persistent throughout the day. Um, So much that Sam and I, uh, we like locked ourselves in like a spare bedroom in in my grandparents' house. (laughs) (laughs) And like we put like a chair against the door and like other stuff like in a cartoon, <laughs> which is perfect for this fucking movie. Which is <laughs> this movie should have been a cartoon. It would have been a, lot, a hell of a lot better. And they tried to make it a cartoon, and you were you were just enacting it. Yep. And uh, but uh, Andrew won, yeah. and we watched it on DVD. Jesus. And then I just watched it on Amazon before we recorded this. Hell yeah. So you're welcome. I guess in summation, we'll just say. Um, Andrew is a real guido, which is one of the terms they drop in this movie. There, this movie is racist against Italians, which makes it, which makes it the good kind of racism. <laughs> we love our Italians, folks. We love our Italians. If you remember from uh, <laughs> Battlefield Earth episode, but also we love them, and it's okay to be racist against them. Yeah, uh, and on that note, um, we'll see you next time. See you next week, folks. 